Gowanen Melonin, and thanks for tuning in to Speak, Friend, and Enter, a podcast where my sister and I debate which member of the Fellowship of the Ring is the most smoochable. I'm Leah, and I've read all the books, including the secret shame ones, and she's Audrey, an expert on the Lord of the Rings movies. We're doing something a little different this week, forgetting about the movies for a bit and discussing the creation story of Middle-earth. Since this is really extra credit nerd stuff, I'm calling it Deep Lore. This is something I want to start doing on the off weeks, alternating with the regular podcast episodes. Episodes that are a little more monologue on my end, sharing some of the beautiful, interesting, and dramatic stories from sources like The Silmarillion, The Children of Hurin, and others. These stories are generally placed somewhere adjacent to book canon, as they were published after Tolkien's death. His son, Christopher, made his best judgments in choosing the most consistent parts from the many versions Tolkien had written of any given story. So the concept of canon is a little squiggly, as names or events might differ from one published source to another. Once again, you get to mix and match your favorite parts to create your version of the canon. Fittingly, we're going to start at the very beginning with the creation of Arda. So we're going to do something that I'm calling a deep nerd interlude, which is where we discuss something that happened in the Silmarillion or in kind of the foundations of the stories that we're talking about to give us something to latch onto and sort of contextualize Middle-earth a little bit better by talking about where it comes from. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's my contribution. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So last time we talked oh so briefly about how Gandalf and Sauron were two of the first beings ever created, and I want to jump back to that. I will tell the briefest version I can of the creation story of Arda. And if you want to read more about it, it's called the Ainu Lindale, or the music of the Ainur. Oh, that's like that really pretty song that is in the extended version where the wood elves are singing. Is that, is that correct? You are so close. Darn it. No, you're so close. We're actually going to get there. <laughs> okay. Got it. So bring me back to that at the end of the story so I don't forget. Okay. Uh, The reason that I want to tell this story now is that there are themes laid out in this story that I think we should pay attention to as we continue working our way through Lord of the Rings. First, there is the creator god. He is called Eru, or Iluvatar, or Eru Iluvatar. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing with Tolkien. Everything has so many names. Aragorn and Gandalf have over two dozen between them. (laughs) There's like... There's a story in the Silmarillion, or it might be in Children of Hurin, but these two elves are kind of escorting this lady elf across, you know, across Middle-earth for whatever reason. And they... An escort quest? Got it. <laughs> it's, it's an yeah, escort quest. She had a little bit more agency than your general target of an escort quest. <laughs> uh, but she, they, they're carrying her across a stream and she shivers and it's like from now on this will be known as the shivering stream so it's one person shivered one time <laughs> just any excuse tolkien can find for giving something another name he will take it <laughs> considering that he's like the creator god of everything three names isn't that much yeah uh, can <laughs> use a few more yeah well eru does mean i believe it means the one and iluvatar means it uh, literally means father of the universe <laughs> But it's usually translated to mean, like, father of all. In what language? Uh, Quenya, which is an older elvish tongue that isn't used as much. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Quenya is kind of like the Latin of Middle Earth, where like it's pretty scholarly. You don't usually use it in the day to day. Eru creates the Ainur, the super powerful beings of thought and light. This is what Gandalf and Sauron are. They're they're Ainur. Ainur mm. is the umbrella that covers both Valar and Maiar. So we have both the really powerful guys and the slightly less powerful, but still pretty powerful guys. We're going to say we've got some visual aids for this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because a visual would help me because sometimes my mind just starts going. It's hard for me to keep up with lineage and like structures of power. Absolutely. Just wait until we talk about the sundering of the elves. Oh, God, I can't wait. That's a huge mess. So Eru sings to the Ainur, and they sing back. And eventually the Ainur start to sing together and understand each other better, where previously they had only understood themselves as just like a facet of Eru's mind. They start to sing together, and they hear other people singing other parts of Eru's mind. So they start to understand both the others and themselves better, and they create a more beautiful and harmonious music. Eru sings a great theme which amazes the Ainur with its glory and splendor and he says now sing it back to me but this time put your own spin on it <laughs> so the Ainur sing and they they sing with the sounds of harps and pipes and violins and choirs and the music is beautiful just an all-out rap battle <laughs> there we're gonna talk about a rap battle <laughs> between Sauron and an elf named Finrod Felagund oh, way man. later <laughs> oh man that's exactly why I want to tell the story, because singing is so important in Middle-earth. Mm -hmm. So one of the Ainur, named Melkor, has kind of skipped out on choir class, and he has gone wandering in the void, and he's become strange and different from the others because of it. He is looking for the flame imperishable, which is what, what the myth calls basically Eru's ability to create life. Melkor comes back and he wants to increase the power and glory of his own part in the music. Mm. So he sings themes that clash discordantly. He's like that really annoying soprano in choir class. <laughs> He's just like, I know I have a bad voice, but I want to be the loudest. I want everyone to hear me. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep, that's exactly what Melkor is. <laughs> I tend to think of him a lot more like like a Sex Pistols grunge guy, mm -hmm. like coming into a church choir. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> just starts doing screamo in the middle of an opera performance. Sometimes you got it. <laughs> so some of the Einor falter when they hear him making this new like, weird God, music. It's so terrible. <laughs> Shut him up. <laughs> yeah. Or some of them like his song better and they start to sing along with what he's doing. And they start wearing like eyeliner. And they immediately all manifest eyeliner, <laughs> leather jackets, and a flannel shirt tied yes. around the waist. Yes. Eru, hearing this, stops everyone and sings a new song. But again, Melkor is like crunching on his electric guitar. And <laughs> And this time, his song triumphs over over Eru's song. His 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 loudness is too loud. It's just Hawthorne Heights, Ohio is for lovers, all up in here. <laughs> We're really going back in time for this. Yeah, I'm gonna edit in a little bit of that song. <laughs> no, I'm not. It will be horrible in your ears. Um, Eru stops everyone again, and they start singing a third time. 
the song gains power and depth until basically two songs are being made at once. One of these songs is described with one of my favorite Tolkien lines ever. It is deep and wide and beautiful, but slow and blended with an immeasurable sorrow from which its beauty chiefly came. The other song is loud, pompous, violent, repetitive, and this violent song can't overcome the solemn one. The solemn song just takes the greatest parts of the violent song and weaves it back into its own music. Mm. Eru stops everyone for the last time. He says to Melkor, you are a dick, <laughs> but I created you and I'm the source of your power. So your dickishness will only lead to the creation of things that are more wonderful than you can imagine. Then Eru takes the Ainur into the void and says, behold your music, and shows them a vision where previously there had been no sight. He shows them a vision of a world and its history playing out before them. And Eru says, this is the song that you sang. And there are things in here that each of you uniquely created. And the Ainur eventually see elves and men happening in this vision, which is a great surprise. And they are amazed at these little goon creatures. <laughs> and they love them right away because they represent a part of Eru's mind that they don't know yet. And they want to know it. So okay. they love men and elves. So this so is much. like that episode of The Simpsons where Elisa accidentally creates like a tiny civilization that end up being like little tiny Lutherans. <laughs> that is exactly what That's it's exactly. like. I, I knew it. The Lord of the Rings was based on that one episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> That's where Tolkien got it. Okay. That's why Tolkien's family is so litigious. They don't <laughs> want you to figure it out. Eru, after everyone sees this vision, Eru says, let these things be, and the world becomes real and not just a vision. And that's the creation of the world. Um, when the Ainur go down into the world, they realize that it's like primordial and not done yet, and there's no men and elves, and they realize that they've gone back to the beginning of the music. Mm. So they kind of go to work spiffing up Middle-earth for the eventual arrival of elves and men. So it's like prefab for them. <laughs> they have the instructions, but they still have to do it. Okay. Okay. So I wanted to ask you what you think an important part of the story is that kind of we can pay attention to as we go on in Lord of the Rings. Well, I was kind of wondering what Hawthorne Heights manifested as in, <laughs> in this vision, in this real world now. Well, uh, the short answer is basically just evil. Melkor later on, um, he he does a lot of really whack stuff, <laughs> including like the first murder ever in history. And he becomes known as the great enemy of the world or Morgoth. Hmm. Do you remember that? Almost. It it might uh, jog your memory. I can hear Ian McKellen <laughs> saying hear it, but... A Balrog of Morgoth. Oh, yes. So, yes. All of the Balrogs are other Maiar who heard him singing this song, and they were like, I like what this cat's doing. Okay, so that's what Balrogs are. They're the ones who put on, like, the eyeliner and stuff. <laughs> that's and pretty much all Balrogs. leather jackets. All Balrogs canonically wear eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't prove they don't. <laughs> I think it's interesting just thematically that it... I don't hate Malcor for just trying to write his own music, mm -hmm. because it's just like, why do I got to conform to exactly what this guy is telling me. I just don't really like classical, so For sure. leave me alone. <laughs> but is it necessarily evil? I mean, it, it manifests as evil just because it's different. Mm -hmm. I, 
I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting comparison to make because the act of creation is always viewed as being something like good and mm -hmm. worthy of praise in Tolkien. Like being a master craftsman is like the best thing that you can be. Yeah. That's something that Melkor is very good at. He is he is described as being like the most skilled of the Valar, which are already the most powerful and skilled creatures in existence. So he's excellent at creating things. Where he turns to evil is that the reason he was out in the void searching for the flame imperishable is that he got jealous of Eru being able to boss everyone around. He mm -hmm. wanted his own little dudes that he could boss around. Yeah. So his evil doesn't come from wanting to create or even to create something different. It just, but rather that he wanted wants to, to control. Exactly. He wants yeah. dominion over other living creatures. Okay. And that's where it manifests as evil. That's what's bad. That's the bad thing. Yes, controlling and manipulating turns <laughs> out are not good things. So uh, you does that answer your question? It does. That was perfect. Okay. And I think that was very astute. Um, Thank you. Some other things we can pay attention to as we continue on through the story is that everything that evil does will have a good outcome, even if it isn't for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Evil is... No, I just said something. I was about to say something so stupid. Evil is good. Evil bad. <laughs> evil good. Perfect. Another, <laughs> another thing to pay attention to is that the music that creates the world is described as being sorrowful, which makes it beautiful. Okay. So there is a beauty to be found in sorrow. Mm -hmm. There is one of the Valar whose name is Nienna. She's often described by the Tolkien professor as the Vala in charge of crying, which Me. is a little reductive. That's <laughs> you. Um, her, her, she's, she is always crying. That's her thing. Um, because she, she weeps so much for like the sad things in the world. However, her, her kind of element is turning sorrow into wisdom. So I like to think of her as the therapist, Vala. Hell yeah. <laughs> Love her. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so sorrow isn't inherently a bad thing. There's wisdom to be gained in sorrow. And that's something that we can also pay attention to as we go forward. The final one that I want to point to is something that I already talked about because I just couldn't wait, is the general importance of singing and music in yeah. Middle-earth. You right. can't skip the songs when you read Lord of the Rings. Ah, <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> I want to hear the songs. I, I understand. appreciate that Howard Shore wrote the songs. <laughs> I understand that reading a song is nothing like it's, listening to a song. It's just reading words. And really. they don't they don't push the plot forward, so you just want to skip it and yeah. see what comes next. But the songs are um, important to understanding the people who are singing them mm -hmm. and, and even... It's like what their values are. Exactly. Exactly. Like the goblins singing in The Hobbit is all like really short onomatopoeia sounds like crack, smack, the goblins whack or whatever the, <laughs> the lyrics are. <laughs> Whereas, you know, that's that's goblins because they're they're violent mm -hmm. and they're short-sighted. Yes. But like elves and so someone said men <laughs> write songs that are a lot more lyrical with um, big words. <laughs> they, they big word. They big word. Yeah. They talk big idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then like Hobbit songs, how do they differ? Hobbit songs, <laughs> I don't know that we have a lot of them in the books besides like The Road Goes Ever On and On and um, 
I think a song, I know that it was used at the end of Return of the King originally called Use Well the Days, which is, the the, the songs are more about like enjoying your life. Mm-hmm. And even in the movies, we see like their cute tavern songs. Yeah, that that's sing. kind of what I was thinking. And the only like, brew for the brave and true comes, comes from, from the green dragon. dragon. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. So the world, the whole universe is sung into existence. The the huge silvery Malorn trees in Lothlorien, Galadriel oh. sings them into growing from seas. Shut up. That's <laughs> and a a dwarf's mournful song convinces a fussy old hobbit to leave his hobbit hole and go on an adventure that would change the history of the world. Mm. Music is very important. Okay. So that's another thing that I want us to pay attention to as we continue. That's going to be it for Deep Lore this time. There's a very beautiful and very accessible comic version of this story by Evan Palmer that you can view on its website, and I'll link it in the show notes. You can also Google Evan Palmer, I knew Lindeley, but I'm not going to make you spell that out. Thanks so much for listening, and if you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow the show's Twitter at SpeakFriendPod for official pod stuff and visual aids, and my personal Twitter is at AskIstwin, that's I-S-T-W-E-N. Audrey is too cool for social media, but if you blow a raspberry on a dog's tummy, she will feel it. Until next time, Muhu Torgizu Turuguskin. <laughs>